Welcome to Catapult Future Fest Conversations, powered by the voices of the Catapult community who are mobilizing capital, technology, people, and heart to solve the world's biggest challenges. Think of this podcast as a chance to sit by the fire and learn from a few of the amazing minds who joined us in Oslo for the Future Fest fifth anniversary gathering in 2022. I'm your host, Kate Byrne, co-founder and chief impact officer of Pop Venture. Gifted author, social critic, and women's advocate, Mina Salami, is brought to us by our dear partner and supporter, BMW Foundation Herbert Kwan. She shares in detail her theory and the impact this change can bring about. I'm really excited to um, complete this day with someone who is phenomenal. This is Mina Salami, and she is an author, a social critic, a feminist activist, and I'm going to say so, so much more. And uh, she's going to talk a little bit, well, quite a bit, actually, about systems change. That's right. And more. <laughs> Mina. Thank you so much, Kate. Um, Pleasure. And thank you for, to all of you who are here. I'm really happy for this opportunity to speak with you. It's a bit strange looking. <laughs> so I know, a sauna, up. maybe um, first and last sauna. Maybe, like yeah, this. no, but it's very cool. Um, so, yeah, so I'm going to speak with you about systems change, but perhaps from a, a different perspective than what you've been speaking about here at the festival already. Um, I'm going to speak about three key powers that I think can help to shift systems. And I've called these the freeing power of the outsider, the hidden power of the insider, and the healing power of multi-perspectivality, long word, multi-perspectivality. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'll get to those soon. Before I speak about the three powers, I want to speak about three sources of pain in our times. And I'm not thinking about the pain that is obvious, the 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 climate crisis, the multi-crises, climate crisis, uh, pandemic, wars, poverty. Um, and of course, I'm also not thinking about our personal pains, but um, rather I'm thinking about the kind of meta pains, meta multi-crisis related pains, um, which are existential in a sense. They have to do with our collective desires, fears, hopes, despairs and the helplessness that we feel in association to the multi-crisis. And the first pain is the entangled solutions pain. And this pain is when all of the solutions seem to become part of the problem. So I was speaking to a, a friend of mine a few days ago, a brilliant philosopher called Bayo Akomolafe, and he was telling me that um, in Denmark recently, uh, th that the Danish government had cleared a beach of all of its debris um, for like um, over a million dollars or something like that. Can't remember the amount. Only to then dump it in another beach in, in somewhere in Denmark. Um, so this is an example of the solution becoming a part of the problem. Um, I noticed also when I came out of the, the train station here in Oslo yesterday um, that there's this huge concrete building which, you know, it says that it's going to have, uh, it's just going to be full of plants very soon, which is wonderful. I mean, we do want to see more incentives like that, 
but that's also next to a huge mall and a train station. So obviously people are, are encouraged to, to consume, to spend, and that results in exploitation. And the point is not to police ourselves. I mean, I came, I had traveled, so I'm part of this. Um, and to some extent, I think it is human nature that we we dig ourselves deeper into a hole. Um, it's, it's almost like we tend to prefer short-term strategies um, because they are faster to effectualize. But it is a bit Sisyphean, like the Albert Camus, the French philosopher, describes Sisyphus rolling, up the, the, rolling the rock up the hill. That's kind of how we approach the multi-crisis. And that creates what I'm calling this entangled solutions pain. Um, the second pain is the seeking systems change pain. And um, this is about how it causes us pain to, to, to seek systems change. Um, so many of us are, um, we're, we're caught up in this challenge of, for instance, should we get rid of capitalism entirely because obviously it promotes exploitation and extraction and consumerism and all of these uh, problems that we know are ruining so many of the things that we care about. Um, or should we use capitalism to develop innovative solutions? Um, and this Anybody who's grappling with, as we who are here all are, more or less, um, who's grappling with these kinds of questions and this sort of uh, dichotomy feels a sense of existential frustration almost because it's so difficult to... I think the question forces us ultimately to, to let go of our ideological biases because we have to sort of... We have to listen to the other side, uh, whichever position we take. And then the third pain is what I call betweenness pain. Uh, it's a, it, this is a meta pain that is caused by a sense of dissonance. So we're torn in between different times and eras and things are changing so rapidly. So, you know, pre-COVID now feels like the old days. And that means that, you know, the 90s or something feels like ancient history. And this creates a, a kind of dissonance for us. Um, it's a little bit like being in a house of mirrors. So where we previously could look in the mirror and it seemed like we just saw ourselves. Now it's like we're in this house of mirrors and we see ourselves in all kinds of angles and it makes us feel a little bit dizzy and dissonant. And so... There are the three things, the powers that I mentioned earlier, um, are, are powers that I think can help us to shift um, systems ultimately, but to move away from, from these pains. And so the first one, the freeing power of the outsider. Um, we've all been outsiders at some point. So whether it is when you're in a new country um, and the culture and language is different or you take up a new sport or hobby or course or something. We all know that feeling of being an outsider, but of course for some people, uh, being an outsider can be thrilling and exciting even. Um, whereas for many, um, that is not the case. So for instance, if you are um, an outsider in the country where you live and perhaps that's the only society that you know, um, so you're supposed to be an insider, but you instead are being made to feel an outsider. Um, that's a deeply discomforting 
state of being. And it's one that is very difficult for those who haven't experienced to understand. So for instance, it's very difficult for men to understand what it's like for a woman who's in a space because of her expertise to be belittled, to not be listened to just because of her gender. Um, it's similarly very difficult for white people to understand what it's like for people of color that we have to um, constantly sort of reassure white people that we understand their perspective, their worldview, whereas we, our worldview and our experiences uh, don't receive that same kind of attention. But despite that it is um, challenging uh, to be an outsider, what I'm saying is that it is a kind of portal to freedom at the same time. Um, because what it does, it, not necessarily for everyone, but if you explore it, is that it opens up a space for a more multi-dimensional um, and holistic way of thinking. And to give some, uh, some further context, um, I've, I've been an outsider my whole life. It's kind of the, the storyline for me. So <laughs> I grew up in, in Lagos in Nigeria, um, my, the daughter of a Finnish mother and a Nigerian father. Um, and I was a really patriotic child. I, I, I loved my city, but I, uh, I always had this sense of I was angry about the patriarchy that surrounded me. And I also was different because my mother was from Finland. And when I was a teenager, my mother and I moved to Sweden and um, and there, or actually even before then, we would travel to Finland a lot when I was a child. Um, and I was also very patriotic about being Finnish um, because, you know, it, it was a great peaceful country. Um, but there again, I was an outsider. I was um, always made to feel other, even by my family, although I, f I, I, I knew that I was loved by them. And um, then my mother and I moved to Sweden, and there I was, again, alienated um, because of my race. From Sweden, I moved to Spain, um, and in Spain, I was repeatedly mistaken to be a sex worker, um, which I'm not judging the profession per se, um, <laughs> but that it was assumed that that was what black women do in Spain, that was the stereotype, and it didn't exactly make me feel welcome. Um, from Spain, I moved to New York, and on the flip side, in New York, I was, um, I was automatically categorized as black, um, mm. which was new for me because I was previously African or mixed race. Um, and so that did feel welcoming because I, I suddenly belonged <laughs> with a group of people. But, but what it also did was open my eyes to the black American experience, which was full of obstacles, racist and white supremacist obstacles. Um, in addition, I, I come from a, a multilingual and interfaith home, so my mother and I spoke Finnish. My parents met in Germany, so they always spoke German to each other and to me. And then I moved to Sweden, learned s Swedish, then Spain. So I speak five languages, and my dad's Muslim, my mother was a Protestant, so I would pray with the Imam one week and go to church the next week. <laughs> um, so. Obviously, you know, not all of my experiences have been negative and each of these countries that I've lived in and languages that I speak really, um, you know, I feel very lucky to have had those experiences. But it has also been very challenging to always be the outsider. Um, 
but the, the, the freeing power um, of being the outsider ultimately is that it has made me think multi-perspectively. So whatever issue I may be looking at, I'm looking at it in different languages from different faith points. I, have, I can easily sort of assume an, a kind of ambivalent attitude to things. And I think that that's something that we need to cultivate. Um, how much time do I have? Oh, you've got, keep going. Okay. You're, you're okay. Um, so in 2020, I published a book titled Sensuous Knowledge, A Black Feminist Approach for Everyone. And the book was inspired by a trip to the Singularity University um, at the NASA Research Camp. Hmm. Um, and I was there to, to give a lecture on African feminism and women in Africa. And it was, it was amazing. It was such a, a stimulating space for me. Um, sorry, I said... Oh, I published the book in 2020, but the NASA trip was in 2016. So it's quite a while ago now, and I'm, I'm sure it has changed a lot since then. Um, but it was really fantastic, fun. Um, and I felt like I had found yet another tribe, you know, people who are into big ideas and social criticism. But I also, it was also there that I, I started to realize that this, that being an outsider had a freeing power that I didn't encounter there. Um, so, for instance, when we had conversations about longevity, um, they were completely s devoid of the understanding of the rest of the world. So I come from a part of the world where life expectancy is, you know, due to geopolitical reasons, very low in, in the African continent. And here we were talking about wanting to live until we're 200 years old and, yeah. and stop aging and things like that, which, you know, they're conversations that we can have. But I realized that I could slip into those conversations, but they couldn't sort of, they, they didn't have the urgency, the feeling of urgency about global challenges that, that I had. But this brings me to the second attitude shift, which I call the hidden power of the insider. The insider is the person whose identity isn't volatile. So they've gone through life largely being able to access privileges and subjecthood is constructed around them. The insider is typically white and male, but not always. And the hidden power that the insider has is not the urgency that the outsider has, but it is access to a certain kind of conscientiousness. So the insider can choose to understand the other conscientiously um, and not through sort of gimmicky diversity hacks and women empowerment badges and this and that or anti-racist training and unconscious bias and all of these things which can be useful in some instances. But... Um, I'm thinking of something, the conscientiousness that comes from a critical engagement, from, from wanting to speak to the other and about um, the kind of meta pains, you know, about the hopes and despairs and really to, to, to be parallel with each other. And when you combine the freeing power of the outsider with the hidden power of the insider, you get what I'm calling the third one, which is the healing power of multi-perspectivality. So the outsider comes to it through urgency, the insider comes to it through conscientiousness, 
but both are forced to step outside of themselves. And that cultivates this multi-perspectival view. And that in return nurtures a, a feeling of clarity and connection. And clarity is about the world, results in a kind of a, a seriousness. It means that, you know, the, the crisis, there's an impulse, I think, to trivialize the issues. That's how we typically respond to crisis, because we don't really want to deal with it. But dealing with it with seriousness and clarity instead can bring to the surface joy um, rather than the kind of the trivialization and the flippancy, um, because there's, a, there's, there's such a groundedness in clarity. And, and that's, that's what I think um, we need to bring into systems change discussions. So we still typically think of um, systems change as changing institutions. Um, so s systems are almost seen as synonymous with institutions. We have the educational system, the legal system, and so on and so forth. But basically what I'm saying is that the system is deeper than that. It is, it is the intellect, the, the ways that we know and what we know and how we, how we show up in the world. Um, and so if we change or if we don't change the intellect first, and I've heard people say similar things um, at the festival today, um, what happens then is that even when we develop new innovations and technologies, we end up replicating and increasing the same problems again, because the, the technology has changed, as we've seen with the internet um, or social media, these held so much promise at one point, but instead they have just worsened crises in so many ways, even while also still holding promise. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, this, this is the message I want to share with you today. I'm, I'm coming from a feminist tradition where, to be honest, you know, systems change is a bit of a buzz thing at the moment, but feminists have always been about systems change. We want to end patriarchy and that is a system. Um, so, and the qualities that we want to bring forth are, um, embodiment, uh, you know, compassion, empathy, but also this kind of groundedness that I've been talking about. Um, I think, you know, men have, it, it's easier for men coming from the platonic tradition where mm. everything is sort of abstract and esoteric and otherworldly, but women perhaps because of our bodies and our cycles, we are more grounded in earth and and that's the feeling that we also need to introduce to to systems change then there and i look forward to the discussion <clears throat> all right i'm just gonna <laughs> settle in with that um thank you very much for all of that uh at the end of the day there's absolutely no getting around the fact and you touched upon it towards the end there, you've got to do the internal work because without internal change, there will be no external change whatsoever. And it'll really take a, a much longer time. <sighs> With the systems, is there one that stands a greater chance of being able to be shifted first? So you mentioned there are a number of them and we know whether people acknowledge it or not, they are all interconnected. So which is kind of the key I often call it the Jenga piece, right? Which is going to be the first one we should address that would then 
cause the others all to help shift and change? Thanks. That's such a great question. Um, I think it's the, the, the one about the intellect, so the kind of overarching um, system with a capital S, if you like. Um, and, and that sounds daunting, but I'll just share a, a very, very short, short thought experiment about how simple this can be. Um, so if you think about what you had for breakfast this morning, um, so I'm sure many of us here had some bread maybe, um, and the way we typically go about, the way our, in our conventional intellect works, in my book I call this Europatriarchal knowledge, it's a way that is like uh, kind of obsessed with reason and rationalization, um, is to, if I asked you to describe your breakfast to me, uh, you would give me like the nutritional content, maybe the, the amount of carbohydrates or calories or whatever. Um, and one way to, like, if, if you were to think about it with what I, in my book, it's titled Sensuous Knowledge, but this more sort of holistic, multi-perspectival view, um, you might describe the nutritional content still, but you could also tell me uh, about the texture of the bread. What was it like to chew? What, what were the flavors? You might tell me what kind of sounds you heard as you were eating um, and what tradition the baking comes from. So it's more of a holistic. It's more holistic. Uh, and, experiential. And, and that's changing the intellect. If we apply that to something as mundane as breakfast, um, then imagine what could happen if we did that to you know to far bigger issues right so it's actually even being <coughs> more intentionality more it's, intentionality right it yes. seems to me so really thinking and being more thoughtful about more more thoughtful more creative um it's kind of i think you know we say we we cultivate a scientific attitude um perhaps what i'm saying is to simultaneously also nurture a poetic attitude. Right. That opens Both the poet and quant. <laughs> yeah. And answer multisyllabically as opposed to just the facts, ma'am, and single answer. Exactly. Single short-term words. So what would be three things that everybody here could do, like s steps to take or um, practices to engage in to help either build up their insider if they just it will one might be pay attention are you an insider are you an outsider and then kind of activate accordingly but do you have any thoughts for folks how we can kind of start driving some of that change yeah um so i think one what you alluded to already um also that example with with the breakfast you know try and bring that to your lives your work to look at things more dynamically that's something you know we can all practice more of um i think the walking meditation in the morning whoever was there like oh yes that was one example of that um another thing we can all do is to i think read literature that you wouldn't typically so read feminist literature read african um india whatever you know just sort of venture out or watch movies or go to art exhibitions just really keep expanding your your minds to other ideas and then lastly um i'm going to say be more bold um I, I was speaking to ali earlier and i was saying you know if imagine if you were five percent bolder tomorrow than what you are today what would that look like for you? Um, you know, it might just be that you approach someone that you've always been curious about or that you speak something out that you've been holding inside um, or that you pursue a project, it, whatever it might be. Um, 
I think we already have the answers within us. We already we talk so much about these things, as you as you pointed to. Um, what we need is the boldness and the courage to actually move forth with the knowledge that we already have. So be 5% bolder tomorrow or, or tonight. <laughs> Thank you. This is Kate Byrne. Thanks for downloading Catapult Future Fest Conversations, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear in the series, join us in person at our upcoming Future Fest event in Oslo, Norway, May 31st through June 2nd, 2023.